All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, we just invite your presence now. We know that you're with us, but because of the promise of your word, where two or more more of your people are gathered, you are there. So thank you for being with us, and uh, we just pray that you would uh, grace us with your presence and uh, speak through me, Lord, and uh, just cause us to have open ears, uh, hearts, Father, to hear from you. And uh, more than anything else, Lord, uh, just pray, Father, that uh, Jesus be glorified and lifted up uh, through all of this, Father. And we... uh, Pray these things in your name. Amen. The big idea, sometimes a single act of courage is all it takes for something extraordinary to happen. The challenge, recognizing that while the good news doesn't change, sometimes how it's delivered needs to change. Verses Acts 15, 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make, and this, this was taken from the very first church business meeting, And this is James, the brother of Jesus, saying this as they were trying to wrestle with uh, the the, uh, influx of Gentiles who were getting saved. And and the Jews were uh, receiving them, but wanting them to become Jewish, to be a part of the church. And so so there was this, you know, kind of some tension there. So anyway, the, the result of it, this is James. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles or the unchurched who are turning to or back to God. That's NIV. And then the other uh, verses were Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I want to go through a list of some uh, names that are going to be familiar to you. Abraham. Abraham stepped out by faith, not knowing for sure where he was going to go or what he was going to do when he got there, yet the future of an entire nation of people stood in the balance of his obedience. Joseph in Egypt, staring into the eyes of his ten wicked, mean brothers, not knowing that they represented the ten tribes of Israel at that point, and having every reason in the world to have them executed or at least imprisoned, yet he had the courage to forgive them. And because he did, today we tell the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors when we tuck our kids and grandkids into bed at night. Moses was called by God to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, which, if you think about that in the natural, made no sense, was probably the last thing in the world that he wanted to do. He had no idea what hung in the balance by being obedient to that call, yet because he did follow the Lord's leading, well, the rest is history, as they say. Joshua was called by God to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River, which again, to the human mindset, was a suicide mission because from strictly a military standpoint, they could not match up against the giants in the land. But he obeyed, and today we celebrate that as one of the most inspiring stories in the Bible. David, as a teenager, confronts a giant from the Philistines because his view of that situation was completely different from everyone else's view. Everyone else viewed Goliath as taunting the armies of Israel. David saw a giant who was taunting the armies of the living God. Big difference there. And he knew God could handle the giant. He just needed a volunteer. So David said, here I am, Lord. And because he did, he became a legend. The only person who's ever lived that was given the moniker, a man after God's own heart. Jesus told the disciples one day, come on, we're going to Jerusalem. And the disciples' response was, Lord, if you do that, you ain't coming out alive. 
and Jesus still said, I'm going, who's with me? And Paul hopped on a boat, a boat that you and I wouldn't ride across Hillsdale, yet he sailed across the Mediterranean basin, planting little churches with no guarantee that he or his message would be received, but he knew that God called him to do just that. And because he obeyed, something extraordinary happened. I share those stories because I believe the Lord has called us as a church, his church, to do something that on this side of it is a little different from what we've been used to. And it's kind of scary because we don't know what's on the other side. We don't know the outcome. But if we knew the outcome, we wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need courage, would we? And to be sure, what he's calling us to do probably wouldn't be as glamorous historically, as significant as some of those stories that I shared. But in its own way, I do believe it will be just as defining for us as a church. You know, as a pastor of the church here, one of my greatest struggles is just knowing if I'm doing God's will, both both as a person but also as a, as a shepherd, um, as your shepherd. It's, it's not a constant, continual thing, but uh, I'll be honest. I mean, there are times I'm confident in the direction that God's leading me or leading us, but there's times I wonder, you know, are we going in the right direction? Uh, are we doing what you want us to do? But, but here's what I know about me, and I think it's probably true of you as well. I always regret missed opportunities more than the risks that I've taken. And the difference between those two things is my faith and assurance in God's leading and the courage to follow through because a single act of courage is quite often the catalyst for God to do something extraordinary. So I want to begin by answering the most obvious question, why? Why? Why make changes in the church? Well, I think the short answer is because I think we can do a better job of being the church that Jesus called us to be in fulfilling the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here I I need to pause for a moment and uh, make a confession. Uh, because I have not done a very good job of preparing uh, us as a church for this time of transition. Um, Change is never easy to navigate. Uh, It's hard for us individually. It's especially hard when you're talking about uh, making changes among a corporate group, uh, changes that involve many people. Having said that, um, I do want to be clear about the fact that none of the changes that we've done thus far or will do in the future going forward are theologically wrong, uh, doctrinally wrong. Uh, They're not against our church constitution and bylaws. Uh, I've searched through there. But here's the thing. Um, I view change, and and this is what I failed to, to recognize, as the leader, I, as the shepherd, I view change differently than you guys view change. Because, see, I, I know where I want us to go. And 
you guys don't. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to share this, but I have a completely different perspective on it, and I, and I neglected to take that into consideration as we've kind of started walking through this. So uh, I do ask your forgiveness for that because that, that is on me, uh, and it's something that I did not recognize at the time. Uh, and I told Mike this morning, I said, you know, that I realized that um, I, know, I know that we all know that change is difficult, but again, change from my perspective is different from change from your perspective. And, and I didn't realize that. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge that going into this. So, um, so I ask your forgiveness for that. Um, but, you know, frankly, that, that was the purpose of the message, to help cast that vision so that everyone can see where we're wanting to go. But please don't misunderstand this message. This isn't a sermon about change. Uh, I've heard more than one person, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I understand what they're saying, but they were talking about, uh, Pastor, when are you doing the sermon on change? And it's like, well, look, yeah, it, it's, it's the vision. I mean, the change is the byproduct of pursuing the vision. Uh, so there's going to be change, but I, I, I kind of cringe when someone says the sermon on change because it's like, well, yeah, but that's not really what it's about. Um, but that's where I had fallen short because uh, I did not do a good job of preparing the church for that. Um, so please forgive me for not preparing us better and, and uh, helping you focus on the vision more than changes. Uh, but, but I do want you to hear my heart and understand that every change that we're making is run through the grid of simply trying to do a better job of following Jesus' final instructions in the Great Commission that he left before leaving the planet and ascending to the Father. And uh, honestly, that's, that's, all, that's all I'm wanting to do. Um, trying to do a better job of fulfilling the Great Commission, what Jesus called us to do. I don't want to look back and regret what God might have done if only we had the courage to uh, trust Him um, and His leading. So, having said that, <clears throat> I want to give you some context for the courage needed as we trust God moving forward. Last April, um, I was voted in as one of the 12 presbyters of our district. They, they, they kind of changed the structure of the district a few years ago. They went from nine sections to... Uh, three regions, and within each region, west, central, and east, there were three presbyters. The presbyters represented different sized churches, you know, a certain attendance presbyter up to 75, and then from 75 to 200, and then above 200. So each, each region had three presbyters with representation from the different sized churches. Uh, just this last year, they recognizing that our state is populated more heavily on the east side, they decided to go on the east, create a northeast and a southeast. So that created three more presbyters positions. And so uh, my, my pastor, Brother Yancey, called and asked if, if I would want to be considered to be voted on uh, for that. I said, sure. Um, so um, anyway, at district council, um, I was voted on. And, uh, and I was voted in, and so I'm kind of a big deal. I'm just... I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but, uh, in the words of Ron Burgundy. But anyway, uh, so at the district council, uh, what they, they had after the election, uh, they had each of the, the new ones that were voted in get up 
and just address everyone and say um, just a brief word. And so uh, I got up and and I said, well, I said, you know, I'm I'm honored uh, to serve in this capacity. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's something like, but I did say something like, you know, I don't know what I have to offer, but uh, I do know this. Uh, after 31 years at one place, I know what doesn't work. That's what I said. And so, um, isn't that what I said? I think that's kind of what I said. So anyway, um, later, uh was talking with uh, Brother Yancey, my pastor, and uh, we, we kind of got to talking about some things, and I don't agree with everything. We don't see eye to eye on everything, but most things we do, and I do know this, my pastor and his wife are praying people. They seek God. I know that. So um, we got to talking about my longevity here and um, in, in this community, which is very unique uh, for a pastor to, to you know, stay this long in a small community. Uh, I think the average length for um, a pastor in a, in a community this size is two and a half years, which when I, half the town still didn't, didn't know us after two and a half years because we homeschooled. And so, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, that, that might not be entirely true. But really, I mean, two and a half years, that's nothing. So, um, but anyway, as, as we're talking about this unique dynamic of pastoring the same church in a small town for that long, uh, I was very candid uh, with uh, my pastor about some of the frustrations with our lack of growth over that time frame. In fact, my response to him, uh, again, was kind of similar. I said, look, if nothing else, uh, Brother Yancey, I know what doesn't work. Um, so that kind of got the conversation going in a direction that I believe the Lord used to begin stirring something in my heart regarding this church. So here are the facts. Um, if you look at the pattern of church attendance in this church for over the, these 31 years, you're going to see a roller coaster. I, I didn't graph it out or anything, but uh, uh, you guys you know, been here, kind of know, you know, kind of how that has gone. Uh, we probably crested as high as 85 or 90 on, a, on occasion and then bottoming out as low as 30, 35 maybe for short stretches or some stretches of time. Those were the dark days. <laughs> uh, but here's the deal. I was always able to justify uh, this up and down pattern. I had to. The only other option was to own up to, you know, me. You know, so I was able to justify it. Uh, and so um, here's how I did it initially. Initially, I justified our lack of numerical growth by telling myself, "Well, we're growing spiritually. We're growing." And 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 that's not a. I don't think it's an untrue statement because I I feel like I bring the word. I feel like. I feel like we, we we were growing spiritually, but inside I, I knew it was, you know, kind of an excuse, you know. Um, so that, that that's what I did for a while. Well, well, yeah, we're growing spiritually. Uh, again, which isn't a false statement, but at the same time, I was I wasn't comfortable with that answer. But again, the only alternative was to own up to the reality that if we were truly a healthy church we would be growing in numbers as well as maturity. But that's what I did for many years. And then at some point, I don't recall exactly when it was, I started doing something that the Bible says specifically not to do. Another confession, I guess. Um, I started playing the comparison game. 
And here's what I did. I got real creative here. Uh, I looked up the population of Wellsville, which at that time was around 1,800. And I began to figure out what percentage of our community we were reaching. I think at that time we were running around 60. So if my math is correct, we were reaching about 3% of our community. So then I started looking around at other communities. Baldwin Church. Ottawa Church. Paola Church. And... uh, I kind of knew what their attendance was, but I looked at their population of their community. And except for Paola, Paola's always had a pretty good, using that metric, Paola's always been pretty good. But the other ones, uh, we, were, we were ahead, we were above them. We were above them. So, I'm, so that, we're good. We're good, yeah, you know. But again, um, I, you know, I wasn't being honest with myself. I mean, that, that was just kind of a stopgap to own up to the fact that, you know, if we were really a healthy church, we, we, we would be seeing some growth, right? And look, there, there's different reasons. I've been doing this a long time. And here's one thing I know about being a pastor. People come and people go. But another thing I know, because my ninth grade biology teacher, Mr. Molnix, made sure that we knew any healthy living organism will grow and reproduce. That's that's biology 101. Okay? And if the church, think about this, if the church is the body of Christ, as the Apostle Paul says, if it's healthy, then it should be growing in all facets. Not just spiritually, but in all facets. So, back to my conversation with uh, my pastor, Brother Yancey, who at one point in our conversation asked if I had ever considered rebranding. And I said, uh, well, no. I said, I mean, we changed the name of the church two or three, four years. I don't remember exactly how far into from Wellsville Assembly of God to Wellsville Family Worship Center, but I said, that that's just a name change. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't really consider that a rebranding. So he said, why don't you pray about it? And uh, he said, I'll send you some information about uh, rebranding. So as I continued to pray and research this idea of rebranding, some other things began to happen uh, in my mind were confirmations of what my pastor, Brother Yancey, had talked to me about. And one day maybe I'll share a little bit more about these confirmations that I believe God was giving me as I was praying about these things. And so moving forward, uh, this is where I believe the Lord is leading us as a church. This is where we're going. The name change. From Wellsville Family Worship Center to Family Church, uh, which honestly is not really all that radical of a change since most people in town call us the Family Church anyway. Really, you talk to... I mean, they they know there's family. Some of them know that there's center. Some of them know there's worship. But but basically, they call call us the Family Church anyway. So that's not that much of a paradigm shift um, just to go to Family Church. Um, Our mission statement. Family church exists to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Our vision, that people near and far from Jesus would take their next step toward new life in Him. And then the process, how we get there. Connect, grow, and go. We want people to take their next step 
of faith no matter where they're at. Because here's the thing, no matter where you're at spiritually, you've got a next step. Everyone has a next step no matter where they're at. Even an unsaved person's got a next step. But no matter how mature or immature or young in the Lord you are, everyone has a next step that needs to be taken. So we want people to take their next step on their faith journey, and uh, we want to be a part of that. We want someone, when they walk in here on Sunday mornings, uh, that may be running from God, um, or maybe they're far from God, or maybe they're close to God, or whatever. Uh, we want them to experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ has to offer and decide to follow Him. And we want someone that's been here for years to take their next step of faith as well, wherever God may be calling them in that season. Because, see, here's the deal. We believe that church is more than just Sunday mornings. And you all know that. We are the church. Okay, We meet here in this building, but we are the church. But in line with this vision and mission, we believe that everyone here should connect, grow, and go. Connect. Connect with God, first and foremost. John 15, 4-8. Remain connected in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain connected in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So, connect with God. But also connect with each other. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Talking about the return of the Lord. So, connecting with God first, connecting with each other uh, on, on Sunday mornings, yes. Uh, through some events that we plan, yes. Um, but yes, especially in, in some of the home groups. We're going to do home groups that we kind of started doing a couple years ago. Um, but when, when Jesus introduced the, the, the new covenant, when he prayed in the upper room with his disciples just shortly before he was uh, betrayed and crucified, uh, that, that new commandment uh, was wrapped up in, in these two words, one another. I want you now to love one another. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to be great, not good, not okay. I want us to be great at one anothering each other. In here as a family, but also as the unchurched people. And when I say unchurched, unchurched people that maybe do know Jesus and unchurched people that don't know Jesus. Connect each, with each other on Sunday mornings uh, through other events that we plan. Uh, grow. Grow. It's important for us to understand that this part of the process is, is done most effectively through small groups. And I'm not saying you can't grow by attending just on Sunday mornings, but I will say that uh, people who are new in their walk with the Lord, it's going to be very difficult for them to grow and mature apart from some type of group where they can be held accountable and just share about uh, doing life together under the lordship of Jesus. So uh, why join a small group? Uh, well, we all know that there's a gap between where we are today and where we want to be. Uh, 
but we all want to grow into a better, I think if we were honest, we all want to grow into a better version of ourselves. I mean, no matter how good, well we think we are right now, uh, I think if we were honest, all of us would admit, yeah, I think we could do better, you know, in, in some areas. Um, see, this was the Jesus model. The 12 disciples, he frequently left the crowd to be with in a small group. And, uh, and those that got plugged into the small groups that we had last year, uh, you know that. I mean, it, it's, um, there's something that takes place in small groups that just, it's like Andy Stanley says, circles are better than rows. Um, there's just, there's just something there that creates an opportunity to, to really uh, uh, grow and, and just, you know, open up. And when, 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 if, if nothing else, you kind of find out you're not alone, that, you know, you're not the only one going through some of these things. And, uh, and I'll be honest, that, that, that study we did last winter, uh, renovate, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought it sounded nice, you know, kind of, it had, the, the theme was like remodeling. And so I thought, well, yeah, that might be good. You know, we can kind of talk about some doing some things, some spiritual maintenance in our lives. And man, I mean, it got after the first lesson. I told Sue, I said, I think I, I think I made a mistake. We better get something else because it was getting kind of deep. I mean, some of that stuff was pretty. But she said, no, let's let's just stick with it. And and we did. And yeah, I mean, it got pretty heavy at times. Um, but you know what? At the end of that, however many weeks, when we finally. I don't know how many delays we had because of the weather. I mean, you know, but anyway, when we finally finished it, almost to a person, everyone was like, when are we going to do the next one? When are we going to do the next one? And so, I mean, it's, it's legit. It really, there is something there. And so uh, we want to tap into that. And we want to continue doing that. And, and we are. We, go, we are going to continue to do that. Uh, uh, we, we haven't dialed in exactly what that's going to look like, but that's, that's where the growth. First, connect uh, with God and with each other. Uh, and then grow. Um, the Jesus way of life cannot be learned alone. Jesus' teachings fall into two categories. How to develop yourself spiritually and how to treat other people. That's really it. If you, if you distill down everything he said, and it kind of falls into those two categories. How to develop yourself spiritually and how to treat other people. And neither one of those can be learned alone. Those can only be learned when you're rubbing shoulders with other people. Okay? Uh, Support encourages change. Um, we all have, we all have hurtful, immature, even dangerous behaviors that, that need to change. Um, change that will only come as we practice the teachings of Jesus. Um, but it is, it's hard work. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's nearly impossible without, without the Lord and without some accountability in a small group. No matter how good your intentions are, if you're not held accountable, it, 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 it's probably not going to happen. It, it would be a rare person that would be able to do that uh, alone. alone. James, one of the first church leaders, addressed the issue by encouraging those who were learning the way of Jesus to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now that's pretty intimidating, isn't it? I mean, I don't want these to become airing dirty laundry. No, no that's, that's not what we're doing. But there needs to be the opportunity for if someone is hurting and dealing with something, if they want to share that, that they can do that in a safe place and be prayed for. And that's exactly what happened on a few occasions in those studies. And, and, and it, it was powerful and it was good. Um, 
Relationships lead to sharing. One of the biggest barriers to growth is stuff. Much of the modern-day culture seems obsessed, obsessed with accumulating new things. Uh, and it seems like one of the biggest fears that people have today is the fear of losing things, their jobs, money, uh, 401K, whatever. And, and, uh, and that's, I'm not saying that's not valid, but you know, when, when, you're get, when you get caught up in that, then you're not really having an eternal perspective and recognizing what the, what the big picture is about. Um, small groups provide a place to make meaningful relationships where you can share about these things in a safe place and be encouraged. And, and again, recognize that you're not alone. You know, you're not the only one going through that. Um, mission happens in small groups. Uh, what if Frodo had gone to Mordor without the fellowship? <laughs> or Luke had, had tried to rescue Leah without Obi-Wan and Chewbacca? Or Bill had attempted to go on an excellent adventure without Ted? See, those, those, those storylines are great because they demonstrate that relationships develop when groups go on a mission together. One powerful way that Christians grow from small groups is by working toward shared goals and common causes. You know, a group might work together to provide, and, and this is one thing we're going to do. We're not just going to meet in homes, you know, have the home groups. We're going to have strategic uh, times of, of uh, getting out of those groups and doing something in our community. And that's the goal. Because, you know, yeah, it's good to, you know, get together and, you know, talk about these things and share them and be prayed for. But ultimately, uh, you know, what, what's, what's this about? It's about the people out there that, that need to be in one of those groups, you know, and, and get, know that, get a relationship with the Lord and find God's plan for their life. Small groups take church beyond Sunday. Imagine if you went to the gym for one hour a week. It's better than nothing, but what are you going to gain? You'll be sore, right? You might be sore, you know, sweaty. You're not going to have any long-term effects. Losing weight, gaining muscle require a good diet and regular exercise. If a person's spirituality is limited one hour a week, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to grow. Small group leads to growth by creating more opportunities to come to know God and to practice the teachings of Jesus and to grow spiritually. Um... So, uh, th- that is something we're going to do, and, and uh, uh, I had uh, uh, on, on, the card, on the cards on the back of the chairs, I had people uh, at the end go one of those out, because there's a place on there if you want to host a small group, or if you would like to attend a small group. And then uh, once we compile all those, then we're going to, once we start getting this dialed in, because I, I, I have some people ask me, what nights are they going to meet? Uh, the only thing we know for sure is uh, the, the families with kids that group's going to be on Wednesday because Jessica's, we're going to be planning something here uh, for the kids or there'll be something here at the church. And so, uh, so that just makes it real convenient for the families that have kids can bring them here and then go to that group. So that's the only one we know for, but there's probably only going to be a couple. Um, could be three, but starting out, there's probably only going to be a couple. And so the only thing I know for sure is the, the families with kids are, you know, people, couples with kids, that group will meet on, uh, on Wednesday so that they can uh, bring the kids here. So connect uh, with God, um, with others in the church, grow through small groups, and then go. Uh, again, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the last words of Jesus before he ascended, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Think about this statistics 
tell us that about 70%, 7 out of 10 born-again Jesus followers, believe it is their personal responsibility to share their faith with others. You know how many actually do it? More than I would have thought, three. So, seven out of ten believe it's their responsibility. Only three out of ten actually do it, right? Uh, actually did it once the previous year. So, that sounds impressive to then you were like, well, well, yeah, that's, yeah, you did it once the previous year. Statistics also tell us that one out of three, uh, that only one out of three of you have invited someone to church in the past six months, which tells us that apparently inviting people to church uh, is not on most people's radar. And that's sad because statistics also tell us that seven out of ten people said if someone invited them, they would come to church. Think about that. Seven out of ten said they would attend church if someone invited them. So moving forward, family church, we're going to give you the resources to help in this area. But even beyond that, think about this. Do you really want to, do you really want to attend a church where, where reaching the lost is not a priority? That's, that's an honest question. Why would you want to go to a church where reaching the lost is not a priority? And I, I know most churches say that, yeah, reaching the lost is a priority until the lost starts showing up, right? When was the last time someone came to Jesus in this church? See, my point is that doesn't just happen. We have to plan for that. Oh, occasionally someone will show up, you know, but if I count on one hand the number of times, you know, someone just shows up, on their own. No, you have to plan for that. Right? And we will, and we are, because we can do a better job of reaching the unchurched. See, we're going to heaven. We're good. Okay, we're good. But how many people do you rub shoulders with every day who aren't good? And you can only shirk that for so long at some point. You've got to own up to that. We've got to own up to that, right? It, it, it's that old adage, man, if you, if you saw someone's house on fire, you've heard this before, but seriously, we don't like to hear this illustration because it really punctuates it and makes it hard to push back against it. If you saw someone's house on fire, would you just walk on by? Well, you know, someone else will tell them. See, we, we know the end game. They don't. And we're surrounded by people every day who aren't going to heaven, and that's, that's on us. Is this a bigger commitment? Absolutely. But think about this. If your current level of commitment is relegated to a 90-minute window on Sunday mornings, maybe it's time to rethink your commitment. Our goal as a church is to be intentional about sharing the gospel each time we're together. But what about when you're not here on Sunday mornings? Have you thought about the fact that God might actually want to use you to lead someone into a personal relationship with, with Christ? And we want to equip you to be able to do that so you feel more comfortable doing that. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this 
with gentleness and respect. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's what I mean when I say I want us to be the easiest place to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. To always be prepared with gentleness and respect and to make the most of every opportunity. So, this is the plan. The plan I believe that the Lord's given us. Because here's the deal. All I know is the other plan wasn't working. It wasn't. It wasn't working. We were not reaching the lost. Occasionally, some of, we were not reaching the lost. And you cannot argue against that. And that's on me. I'm not... I'm not that's on me. I'm the shepherd. Okay? And that's why Sue and I, over the last three plus years, Monday through Friday, almost every morning, with few exceptions, have taken hands. And, and I ain't kidding when I say that. I'm not, I, I kid you not. Over the last three plus years, Monday through... Again, when we're in our normal routine, we didn't hit it every morning, but most of the time, for the last three years, Monday through Friday, we would take hands and we have prayed for this church and for this community. That God would show us how can we be more effective in reaching the unchurched in our community. And yes, there are times we beg God to take us. Lord, surely someone can do better than this. And that's part pity party, but it's, it's part that's our heart. I mean, that, that's the truth. I'm just being honest here. You know, surely. <laughs> Pray that God would show us how we can be more effective in reaching this community. See, there's a body of believers that love God. They're on their way to heaven. That's great. But you know what? You live next door to people who are going to hell. Right? And Jesus has called us to do something about it. What does it mean when we say the easiest? It means we might, you know, might want to eliminate every obstacle, any excuse that someone might have for coming through those doors and engaging with God through praise and worship and engaging with God's people through fellowship. When someone comes to worship with us, hopefully they will get, and we're going to start playing this out, so many touches before they even come through that door. You know, in this day and age, because, because of these, because of these, do you realize that someone's going to make up their mind in seven seconds? Our minds are so conditioned now that, I mean, it's just bam, bam, bam. Seven seconds, they pull if they're going to come back or not. Think about that. It is what it is. I mean, somehow we've got to plan a strategy where we can tap into that and, and combat that. So we're going to have our first impressions dream team. And if you want to sign up for it, there's a place on the card. We want we want a new we want a new couple family coming in to get we want someone in the parking lot to greet them if they've got kids if they've got we want them to go to the kids first forget the adults we want them to go and get down on their level and talk to the kids we want some people outside the door we want some people inside the door we want some people at the coffee machine we want some people at that door there we want people to know that hey we're glad you're here we want to know that they're welcome, they're loved. 
them to see a smiling face, a sincere welcome from someone. We want them to have the opportunity to connect with God through times of praise and worship in an environment that eliminates any fears, self-conscious distractions. We want them to have the opportunity to grow in faith through times of sharing life together in small groups. The opportunity to share, we want you to have the opportunity to share your faith with others. Here's how one pastor put it. We must remove every possible obstacle from the path of the disinterested, suspicious, here against my will, would rather be somewhere else, unchurched guest. The parking lot, the hallways, the sanctuary, the stage, obstacle-free zones. The point is well taken that we have an amazing opportunity to create an environment that is warm and welcoming. We're wanting to kind of change the culture because church is more than what we do on Sunday mornings. Uh, culture building quotes, welcome to the family, as it says on the shirts. Um, life happens best in communities. I already said that other one. Circles are better than rows. Um, follow, following Jesus will not only make your life better, it will make you better at life. We want to see you take your next step towards Jesus or what's your next step on your faith journey. We're an inviting church. We're nothing if not a praying church. Which leads to the last point here, the call to action. And this is the 21 days of prayer that we started uh, that the day after that message, a week ago Monday. And it just so happens that 21 days from then is the Labor Day, I think. And so we just you can go to the church uh, Facebook and you can just click on there and join with us. And some of you have done that. And it's, it's amazing. Have you, have you done that? Have you even done that? I'll tell you what, it, it is amazing because it's like every morning I've read that, it's like, and I'm getting texts from people. Man, it's like someone's reading my mail. I mean, really, it, it is amazing because you would think it's just a, oh, one of them generic Bible reading programs, but I, I think God's in it because, it, I mean, seriously, I'm reading this, it's like it really is kind of neat how I believe God is really behind that. So the 21 days of prayer, because really, and you know this, any changes we make, so what? I mean, the, the secret sauce here is prayer and God's Spirit. That's the secret sauce. It has nothing to do with any of this other stuff. Those, those are tools to kind of help tap into what God can do if we seek His face and get on our knees and pray. Um, so, 21 days of prayer. Um, you want to jump on board there and join us? Uh, I won't even make you go back and get caught up. You can jump in today. And no one's, no one's going to know the difference, right? Uh, but anyway, download that 21 days of prayer app. Uh, another call to action, um, twice a day. Um, you guys got smartphones. You got, you got a little, uh, you got a little clock on there. So you have a little clock app on there. Uh, open that up and set the alarm for 4.56. And there are two of those every day, in case you didn't know. There are two 4.56s. <laughs> I'm not going to be, I'm not going to hunt you down, but, uh, but that, that, that is just a reminder. On, on Sunday mornings, 10.10, and I have it set for 10.10, we, the worship team, and we, we gather up here and we pray, and I have it set for that. So that's kind of how I start doing that. But 
The 456 is from Colossians 4, 5, and 6 that I read earlier. Just kind of as a just a real brief. When that alarm goes off, I'm not telling you, you know, that you know, spend two hours in intercession. I said, as soon as that alarm goes off, just turn it off and say, Lord, I just pray that you would guide us as we seek to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. Just a real quick reminder to just be praying over this. And we're doing it at the same time. See, that, that, that's kind of the corporate thing behind it, the power behind it there. So, um, And then uh, Wednesday nights uh, during that time, and this is the second one, and then we'll have one more next Wednesday, uh, from 6 to 8, we've been meeting here and praying uh, as well. So again, I, 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 I want you to know, you know it's, it's just not about making these changes. It's about partnering with God, but recognizing that the battle is won on the knees. That, that's where the real battle is won. And so this is his reminder to, uh, to remind us of that, that, that that's the secret sauce, the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us through this process. And then the connect cards I, I, I mentioned. Uh, if there's any, if you'd like to help in any of these areas, uh, yeah, put it. You know, get that card and mark on there what you'd want to do. Um, volunteering with the team. There's a box that says volunteering with a team, joining a small group, host. I think there's one of them say hosting a small group. I think we have, we've got a couple people willing to do that. Um, and so, uh, and right now, I'm not sure when they're going to start. I'm going to. It's going to be after Labor Day, obviously, but probably more towards the end of September. But again, I, I, I'm not real sure yet. Um, I know Connie's got a Bible study going with the ladies, and I kind of talked to her a little bit and how much longer that's going to go. So probably towards the end of September is when we'll start the home groups. But, um, but if you want to jump in with us there or be a part of that in any way, you can put that on there. And also on those Connect cards, I know there's not, not a lot of room, uh, but if, if you have any ideas for, or suggestions, for helping us achieve and accomplish this vision and our mission. Any ideas that would help us be the, church, the, the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Any ideas for help us to get people to take their next step in their walk with the Lord? Put it on there. Uh, write it on there. I can get you a piece of paper if it's not. Again, there's not like a really a space on there to do that. But I want to give you that opportunity. Right, right on there. Hey, I... Uh, and I, and I, got, I did get some suggestions. I've gotten some good suggestions uh, from people that wrote some stuff on there. So, um, again, any ideas that will help facilitate either our new vision, making our church the easiest place for, for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus, or our new mission statement that people near and far from Jesus would take their next step toward new life in him. Any ideas how to accomplish that, write them down. Um, and then... Uh, All right, what's at stake here? Here's what's at stake. Um, the lost. The lost. Uh, the next generation. You think about this. Should the, should the Lord delay His coming, what's this church going to look like in uh, 20 years? What's this church going to look like in 10 years? What's it going to look like in 5 years? I'm 63. I don't know what the future holds. And I, and I even said this that Sunday morning. I said, I almost hate to say this because I don't want people to think that we're 
stepping out. We're not. We're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're committed. Um, but um, we have talked to a couple of people that had indicated that probably 70 would be a good time to start looking at. Uh, and, and there's reason that, you know, there's reasons for that. And again, I'm not saying we're, we're going to do that. I'm just saying, look, uh, you know, I ain't, I ain't a spring chicken no more, you know. I know my wife still looks smoking hot at 30, but um, um, Sue and I are probably looking at about a seven-year time frame for continuing to do what we do here. Um, again, on this side of it, a lot can change between now and then. But if you ask Mike, it doesn't matter because Jesus is coming back before then anyway. So... Um, but when talking about his return, even Jesus said to occupy till he comes back. And so in my occupying, in our occupying, uh, I want to ensure that Family Church of Wellsville continues to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, both now and until he comes back. What else is at stake? Talked about the next generation. Um, the eternal fate of our neighbors, the eternal fate of our friends, co-workers, maybe even some of our family. Right? So in summary, what does it all mean? Um, it means that I would like to see us as a church be a place where someone can pull into that parking lot and be met with some smiling faces, walk through that door, maybe feeling uh, a little bit of shame or a lot of shame, maybe feeling distance from God, but walk out feeling loved and accepted and encouraged in a, uh, in a newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, that won't just happen. We don't naturally think to reach out to the lost and unchurched people. It's something we need to be intentional about. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's going to be changes. But again, every change that we make is going to be run through the grid of fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave us, his church, and through the grid of our mission statement, family church exists to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and our vision that people near and far from Jesus would take their next step toward new life in him. And I will tell you this. There are people, God-fearing people, people that you know, some of you know, solid in their faith who have left this church and are going to churches that are doing some of the things that we're wanting to do. I know that for a fact. Ephesians 2, 11-16 Therefore remember that one, the one time that you Gentiles in the, in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For the sake of this message, we could interpret this. You guys were once unchurched, unsaved, on the outside looking in. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, 
So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul's hammering home the, the idea of unity here. He says, look, you know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. You used to not go to church, but now that you go to church, you need to work together to do everything you can to reach the unchurched and get them back into church. And then John 17, 20-23, I do not ask for these only, Jesus' prayer here, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He's trying to get a point across there, right? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And then I referenced this earlier, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment. This was in the, this was in the upper room. After washing the disciples' feet, just hours before being betrayed and crucified. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. So, as we move through this rebranding process, more than anything else, I think we need to heed some of Jesus' final words of instruction to his closest followers. When he introduced the new commandment, I think we need to one another, one another. Let's pray. Lord, um, again, we do pray for uh, wisdom, guidance from you, Lord, as we seek to do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission in this community. And uh, I pray, Father, that uh, as we look to you, that you would guide us and direct us through this process more than anything else. That's all I want to do. I just want to reach the unchurched. Both Jesus followers that are unchurched, because I believe that's, I mean, we can argue that, but I believe there's Jesus followers who aren't going to church anymore, and they've got reasons for that but especially the the unchurched lost, those who don't know you, because they need to be in church. So help us, Father, as we seek to do this, um, as we're led by your Spirit. Pray these things in your name. Amen.